Our scripture reading this uh, afternoon is taken from Romans chapter 9 and reading verses 1 to 5. Romans 9, reading verses 1 to 5. The Apostle Paul writes, I tell the truth, In Christ. I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom belong, pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. So far the reading of God's Word. Dear people of God, Calvinist Reformed people are sometimes endearingly referred to as the frozen chosen. And by that designation, they display a faulty understanding of what it is that we believe. Election, reprobation, which imagines in their minds that people are arbitrarily chosen to salvation whereas others are rejected. And the aspect of frozen refers to the perceived notion that Calvinists do not have a heart for people or evangelism as they stoically trust that election and reprobation will take care of everything so that they don't have fervor for the lost, simply cold doctrine. But nothing could be further from the truth, especially as we read these verses in Romans chapter 9, how the apostle to the Gentiles, who was also a Jew, who had a heart for the Jews and displays anything but a frozen attitude, towards people, whether Jews or Gentiles. The doctrine of predestination, of course, isn't easy to understand, and it has to be handled with care. If we don't understand it properly, if we don't handle it with care, then our discussions and confessions about election really don't amount to too much. Then we're just like clanging cymbals. People are not warmed by the way that we come to them. They're not warmed by the things that we say because they perceive us as just preaching doctrine and really having hearts that are not caring and concerned for those to whom we bring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The way Paul addresses this doctrine in truth clearly shows the difficulty of such doctrines, as he will argue in Romans, that there's always pitfalls. And Peter said, hey, there's some things that, uh, that uh, our brother Paul writes that are difficult to understand. And we have to be careful because some people twist them with their own designs. And so we have to be careful too. And Paul speaks in Romans 9 how people can come to uh, conclusions that are clearly wrong. And when we come to those conclusions, we need to stop. And we need, as it were, to put our hands over our mouth, just like Job did, and confess that we are foolish and have uttered words that we did not understand because they are too wonderful and deep. That's Job's confession when he was uh, found in a similar place in terms of understanding God's ways, especially in his own life. At times we can get so vexed by people inside and outside of the church. We can get so frustrated by the way that they act and the things that they say that sometimes it drains us of any compassion. We begin to see them as enemies and in one way they are. Enemies of the gospel, that is. Enemies of the truth. But we can never view them that way when it comes to the gospel. There has to be that passion that we have, that concern that we have for their souls that we don't allow that frustration in our hearts to hardness, to take that compassion away from them. And sad to say in the world that we live in today and the things that we're experiencing both here and in, in uh, the United States, it, it, it has become so polarized that sometimes I wonder, is there love for those people from the church? Or, or are we so disgusted by the things that they say and the way that they act that we just can't find any emotions in our hearts that really care for their eternal well-being. That can never be in the midst of God's people. And so we need to learn from these verses of the Apostle Paul and, of course, from the Lord Jesus Christ, as we will see. A genuine compassion we can bring all the excuses that we want that these people are like that and these people are like that and they say those things and they lie and they do all of these things. But none of those excuses justify a lack of love and compassion for their souls. And so here in this passage, these opening verses of Romans 9 we get a wonderful display and a confession of genuine compassion. And so Paul brings these verses, first of all, so that he will be taken seriously. He wants them to understand that what he is saying is true. 
I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul, why, why are you bending over backwards to make this point? That, this, that what you're saying is truthful. That is coming from your heart. Because so many people just say the words and they don't mean it. And people hear these words, but they fall flat, on, flat to the ground because they don't really believe that that's what you think and feel inside. And Paul is mindful of that. He knows that the general expectation is that he doesn't love them. He doesn't care for them. That he views them as his enemies. But he wants to know them to know that that's not the case. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. What I say is true. Unlike Peter, who sought to boost his credibility in denying the Lord Jesus Christ for fear of his life, and thus leading to oaths, to strengthen the veracity of what he was saying, even though it was a lie, Paul, in contrast, in the opposite way, wants there to be no doubt about what he is saying. He wants them to take at face value what he's saying, because it does come from the heart, that he has love towards all, both Jews and Gentiles. So we might say, why... Why is Paul doubtful in his mind that people are going to take seriously what he's saying? I mean, why would he? He's not, he's not a liar. He's not known to be telling un, uh, untruths. So why is he making this point so harshly? Well, it's this. Because the people that he's speaking these words to are people that hated him. When he became a Christian, they wanted to put him to death. Even though they, he was their countryman. He, even though he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Even though he was the prominent leader in terms of persecuting the church. Now that he had become a Christian, they wanted nothing to do. Not that they didn't just want anything to do with him. Not that they wanted simply to have him disappear and not say anything. They hated him with a passion. They wanted to take his life. And he had to escape, you remember. So you can well imagine that people hearing that, would, would, they wouldn't take that seriously. This, this doesn't happen. People don't care for their enemies. They don't, uh, 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 their hearts are not heavy for their enemies. They, they're plotting uh, ways in which to bring their enemies down. And so hearing these words from the Apostle Paul, from his mouth, he knew that that would not be the general view of people in terms of evaluating his words. And so he's, he's, he's bending over to stress that he is genuine in what he's saying. He does care for them. How many people have not got deep-rooted resentments against certain people? That have done terrible things. And it's, and it's hard to bring from our hearts. It's hard to kind of look at them and have compassion. I mean, that's the way we are. That's our reaction. 
I'm sure it's that way uh, in, in uh, various parts of the world. I'm sure the Ukrainians are not, you know, um, bending over backwards and, and have, have any compassion towards the Russians and certainly the armies in all of the things that are happening. That's our common reaction. That's our earthly reaction. And Paul knows that. But he wants them to know that he is different, that Christians are different, that we don't act that way. Even to our enemies. No, the love of God constrains us. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. And we beseech all on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That's what should be in your heart. That's what should be in my heart. People of God, as I said, we may be eager and ready to profess our adherence to the doctrines of grace, and we should do. But if we do not have love towards sinners, then we lose all credibility. We are clanging symbols, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Oh, that in each of us, we may be able to echo Paul's words with all the conviction of our hearts that burn with desire for all to be reconciled to God and hence for them to no longer have that wall of enmity but rather by God's grace to have peace. But he goes even further. I tell you the truth in Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. Not only does Paul want his words to be taken as truth, but he wants them to be viewed as coming from his, with all of his mind, with all of his heart, and with all of his strength. He's absolutely committed for their well-being. You remember the Jews were chided by God for worship that was devoid of heart and mind. They did the right things. They followed the rites and ceremonies, but their heart wasn't in it. It was all outward show, and God said it made him sick, turned his stomach. Well, the Apostle Paul wants them to understand that his words are not like that. They're not empty words. He's not just trying to make a good impression, but really in his heart, he doesn't care for them. No, he opens up his heart. He wants his heart to be opened and searched, even by the Holy Spirit, who searches the hearts of all, who can discern between thoughts and intentions. There's nothing that we can hide from the Holy Spirit. And he says he's willing to have his heart and mind open before the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit to check that what he is saying does come from his heart. No, not just words but hearts that are heavy, hearts that care for them. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles, yet he did not want the perception that he didn't care for the Jews. That somehow he didn't want that job, as it were. He couldn't work among them. It was too, too hard for him to confront them after all that they had done. No, he was an apostle to the Gentiles, but he had all the love in the world for the Jews as well. No, let there be no doubt, no doubt at all in people's hearts that he desired for them 
to become brothers and sisters in Christ. People of God, that's the way you and I ought to view everyone around us, including our enemies. I mean, the Bible tells us to pray for them. What exactly are we praying for them? That they might fall? That they might fail? Well, certainly we want any plans that they have to resist the gospel and persecute people, God's people. Yes, we want those to be frustrated, but not at the expense of their eternal well-being. We want them to be saved, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not desire the death of the wicked. He takes no pleasure in them. He holds out his hands all day long. There's a genuine offer of the gospel. God doesn't just say words and they don't mean anything and God really doesn't care. The Lord Jesus Christ's tears were not fake as he wept over Jerusalem. But it was also a genuine care. Because he says, I want, I want you to understand that these words are true and they're coming from my heart, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. I have great sorrow and continual grief. That's the way he viewed people. The heaviness of heart as he looked at them and saw them. And even in Acts 20 verse 31, he speaks about tears that he sheds. That's not a cold preacher that's just there uh, to preach and to, and, to, and, and to lead people, but he doesn't really care for them, not like a good shepherd. No, he wept. See, Apostle Paul, and as I say, the Lord Jesus Christ, where did Paul learn that from? But from the Lord, our Savior, who chose him, the one who persecuted the church. I mean, Christ didn't view him as an arch enemy, one to destroy after all that he has done, but he loved him, chose him, took his place, suffered God's wrath so that he might be saved. You remember God chided Jonah for being cold and heartless. He didn't mind delivering a message to Nineveh, a message of condemnation, a message of, a message of judgment, and eager to see it happen, eager to see and experience that happen. I mean, how worlds apart is Jonah's attitude and the Apostle's Paul, Apostle Paul's? Oh, that we would have great sorrow of heart for their plight and call them to repent. Elijah was ready to give up. He wanted to die. 
so frustrated. But God would not allow the shortcomings of his prophets to hinder his care and salvation for sinners. No, Paul knew this sorrow, this anguish of heart. A gospel that is utterly cold but doctrinally perfect is useless. And no one will give it the time of day. No, we have to have this unceasing anguish of heart. The concern for the lost is not a passing phase, but a chronic condition of the heart. And Paul speaks about it often in Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11. It's how you feel about your children when they don't walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. We never share with one another when our children are not walking in the way that they should in terms of devotion to Christ. We never share it in a cold-hearted way, do we? We don't just say it as a flippant remark that we tell people. The people can hear it in our voice. They can hear it in our hearts. That it keeps us up at night. That it makes us weep for them. That's what anguish of heart is. We can never put it down. You can't forget about it. It's there all the time. And so we have this heaviness of heart. Not that it paralyzes us. It doesn't do that. We, we worship a mighty God. Of course we do. No, but it, it spurs us on to share the gospel, to be on our knees and pray to God that He would open their hearts, that they would heed the things of the gospel and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we can't relax when we know that they're not walking with the Lord, that they're alienated from Him. People of God, that's how important our gospel is. And little do they know what tremendous loss they are experiencing when they walk away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like the rich fool, the rich young ruler, tightly grabbing his wealth, but walked away sad. But it's a genuine commitment. He goes on to say, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. I mean, what a statement. He is saying that he has such concern for their spiritual well-being that he is willing for a moment to stand in the place of them and be accursed so that they may hear the gospel that they may believe the gospel, that they might be saved. Not that he doesn't care about his own salvation. Not that he's saying, well, you know, okay, you have it and I'll suffer in hell. He doesn't mean that. That would be unthinkable. Nobody would ever say that. But he's saying for a while, he is willing to be in that situation for them to hear the gospel, for them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, those are not just words. 
That is a willingness to suffer. Just like the Apostle Paul says, I'm ready to be poured out for your faith. I'm willing to be poured out as an offering. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to face death all day long for your salvation. That's how much I care about you. That's how important it is. And again, we might say, where did Paul learn that from? Would those words ever come out of Jonah's mouth? Well, obviously not, since we've read the story. He wasn't prepared to do that. He didn't have a concern for them, and God chided him for it. This great city, Nineveh, 120,000, and you don't care about them? But you care about this plant? that you hardly knew, it just came up in the night and died in the night, and you're so bothered about that that you're ready to die because of it, but 120,000, you don't have a care? No, that can never be. That can never be. Our Lord Jesus Christ showed this inaction. He became the accursed of God. He took our place. He took our sins upon Himself. No amount of um, vexation about the way that we lived and the way we trampled God's foot, uh, God's word uh, under our feet and rejected the gospel and lived our own way and followed the devil, none of that stopped Him from taking your place and mine and suffering the wrath of God and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was the genuineness of the gospel through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. No one takes my life from me, he said. I lay it down on my own accord. I lay it down because I want to lay it down. I lay it down because of the love that I have for you and to redeem you. To be at peace with God. Oh, the love of God, says the hymn writer, how strong and true, eternal and yet ever new, uncomprehended and unborn, beyond all knowledge and all thought. O oh, love of God, how deep and great, far deeper than man's deepest hate. Self-fed, self-kindled, like the light, changeless, eternal, infinite. It is as we understand and communicate this gospel with all of our heart and with all of our mind that it will be true of us when they say, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. If the cross does not cast its shadow over our hearts and minds and feet, we will never be suitable vessels to transport this precious gospel to those that are perishing. And finally, there are genuine connections 
that Paul alludes to. He says, for, for my brethren, who are my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, eternally blessed God. Paul mentions human ties, connections, that his care and concern towards the Jews was because they were his brethren, they were his kinsmen, they were his race. He's not saying that he's only concerned about them, he's not concerned about anyone else. But the point is, if he's not concerned about them, why would he be concerned about everyone else? If it doesn't happen in the home, why would it happen outside? We live in a day in an individualized society such that national connections and even family connections are weak. But these God-ordained relations should spur and fan the feelings for their spiritual welfare. If we do not care about our own countrymen, as I said, why would we care about anyone else? If we allow, allow the polarization in our own country whereby we dislike one another and we speak about it in those terms, why would they ever hear the gospel from you? If we don't speak with kindness and compassion, even when we disagree, why would they hear the gospel from you? I wouldn't. And so we have to be careful how we speak. We have to be careful that we don't get caught up in this world's divisions. Not that we should ignore them, I'm not saying that. But be careful how you speak. So that when you speak the gospel, they don't turn off their ears and say, oh, they don't mean that. I mean, yesterday he was saying this and she was saying that about us. And now they care about us? No way. No, for the course of the gospel, be careful how you speak. Even about your enemies. So they may hear from us God's wonderful gospel. And they may take it seriously. But then he mentions covenantal ties. We have that this, this uh, afternoon in terms of baptism. There are people that we're united with that are part of the covenant of God. They have the blessings of being in the covenant, as the Jewish people did. But Paul doesn't turn on them. He doesn't say, well, they crucify the Lord of glory. Forget them. We don't care about them. I mean, if that was the case, then the Lord Jesus Christ's words would have to be set aside when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And why he wept for Jerusalem. He didn't hate the Israelites. He cared for them. He came to his own, but his own received him not. But he didn't go back to heaven straight away, did he, because of that? They were plotting to kill him every day of his life, beginning with his birth. And yet he continued to go forward, continued to speak to them, and have compassion on them in every way. No one could ever say, the Lord Jesus Christ hates us. He doesn't like us. Because he always did. Calling them to repentance and faith. 
people of God, we have connections with people that are in the covenant. They may be a little wayward in the, in the direction that they're going. We may not agree with those uh, people and churches in terms of doctrines, but let's not speak about them in such a derogatory way. We care about them. And they may be liberal as liberal can be, but we care about them. We do want them to be saved. We do want them to hear the gospel. We do want them to come to a full understanding of God's grace. Even with churches that we've had a difficult history with. We should have heaviness of heart when we see them go in certain directions and further away from God's truth. It ought never to be. See, we told you. As though we were better than them and look what they're doing. And that just... uh, verifies that we were right. No, we take no pleasure in that. But we desire the best for them. And our our hearts hurt when we see portions in the churches going in certain directions. No, don't speak about them in derogatory ways. Speak with compassion. Speak with truth. Speak with a desire to have them return to be with us. To worship God and to love Him. And finally, appropriately, since we had baptism this afternoon, family ties. Family ties. And I mentioned that this morning. And if we don't have a heavy heart, And if that's not always on our minds about relatives uh, that don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, as I said, all covenant children that are not walking in the way that they should, we can't rest. We can't say, oh, we've got a full church. Try telling parents that, whose children are not walking in that way. And we say, yeah, but we've got a full church. No, they can't sleep because of that. Their hearts are heavy. So should our hearts be heavy. So should the heart of leaders as we seek them out, as we communicate to them the severe loss that we feel and the care that we have for their souls. It's a difficult task, I know, I know they get hardened. They don't want to see the elders. They don't want to see you, maybe. But let it never be the case that that heaviness of heart leaves us. It should never leave us. You know, my father was a a hard man in the society. He became a Christian when he was 60. I think I've shared that the congregation way back. So he, came, he became a Christian at 60 years old. We never thought it would happen. <laughs> Not that we didn't speak to him, but he had such a hardened attitude. He once said, I'd rather go to hell than believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Little did he know the God that we worship. And he became a Christian. His biggest mission field, 
was a family, extended family. And he would tirelessly speak about it. Even though they weren't very comfortable in hearing it, he would speak about it. And for 19 years, he did that. And many people, by God's grace, came to faith. One thing they could not say about him, that he didn't have a heart for his family and relatives. Not only in England, but also in India. That's what we should follow. That's what we should be like. That's what Paul is saying here in Romans. And Romans is a great chapter, you know, and the other, other chapters are there. But let no one say that this is coming from a frozen chosen. Now, here was a man that was broken by the state of people's lives. And he cared for them. And he wanted them to come to faith. And even this, this afternoon, as the children are, are baptized and they're received into the covenant, we pray for them. The parents pray for them. The parents are going to lead them to understand the Scriptures and to be made wise unto salvation. And, and the congregation is there. And we care for them. Because their lives are precious to us. Because they're precious to God. People of God, that's what the gospel is. That's the way we need to communicate it. With all of our heart and with all of our strength. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this precious gospel, especially because we have tasted of this good gift and we're not worthy at all. We are sinners, chief of sinners, and you reached out to us and did not spare your only son. And we are lost for words. But we pray that for eternity we would never be lost for words of praise and honor to you for what you have done. Lord, give us such hearts and maybe reach out to those that are perishing at home and in our country and indeed abroad. For we pray these things in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.